welcome folks to the February edition of, at least for me, the favorite show I'm involved with, a priest, a minister, and a rabbi walk into a radio station. I'm Jay Horrigan, and as always, we have the very impressive Dr. Pandora Carlucci as my kind of sidekick. Pandora, how are you? I'm fine and uh, enjoying enjoying the day. It's uh, it's always surprising to me to see the beautiful sun on the snow. Not growing up in the Northeast with snow, yeah, it it was a very surprising revelation. A part of living with snow, it's it's lovely. It it is the way uh, yeah the way it looks when you have such a bright bright day out here is just awesome, awesome. We have our normal. Uh, guests with us this weekend. We'll start with and say hello to Rabbi Tom Albert. Rabbi, Shalom. how are you? How are you? Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Jay. Hello, everyone. And I'm so looking forward to yet another of our conversations. <laughs> we also have Reverend Kathy McAdams. Reverend Kathy, how are you doing? I am wonderful, Jay. Good to be here. I don't. I don't know about being a normal guest. But uh, a regular, regular guest? I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's the better way to frame it. And and we'll explain that to the listeners with our last guest, who we won't call normal. That's Reverend Eric Cherry. How are you, Reverend Eric? Yeah, I'm going to embrace the abnormalness of of the day and the time, if that's okay, Jay. Good to be with you all, as always. Oh, I'm so glad we're able to do this once again. Uh, it has become, I, I know for me and Pandora talking to her, kind of the highlight of at least both, at least my month, uh, because it's a unique and different type program that just not used to doing. So to be able to get together with you folks once a month is a, a pleasure. Uh, so as we check in, like we do and have since uh, we started our show back several months ago. The first thing we've been asking, and, and Pandora and I were talking about it before we came on, we're getting close to the one-year anniversary of uh, the, the, whatever you want to call it, the big shutdown. How is that uh, affecting? Have you noticed any changes with the vaccine starting to roll out? Uh, Rabbi Tom, how are things with you and the folks at your temple? So um, we're doing okay. People are starting to get vaccinated uh, and, uh, you know, obviously fewer than we'd like, but certainly more than we'd had before. Uh, And so that's encouraging. On the other hand, it still feels like we're a ways away from uh, being able to do anything too much different, but we're just starting to, uh, we're now just starting to plan and think about what the future will look like. It's, it's, uh, it's complicated. People are uh, eager to keep some of the things that have happened during this, uh, during our, our move to, to a lot of online work. There's a lot of that people like, other parts, people are so desperate to get past it and be with each other. And so how we're going to work that all out, uh, uh, we will know in the fullness of time. And uh, the fullness of time seems to be coming up, so we need to figure out what we're doing. 
I muted myself there, which I'm sure there are plenty of people happy with that. Uh, I know my wife is, uh, but she claims she could still hear me. But Rabbi, to your point, it's interesting to see in my little bubble that I'm in, uh, some of the schools that I referee basketball at are going to have an end of the year term uh, tournament. And some of these schools in, in one specific league voted yesterday to let parents in from both schools, uh, as long as they've got a player on the team, they hadn't been doing that. So they think, you know, in their judgment, it is a safe setting for it. And that's something we haven't seen decent in a long time, 11, 12 months. Uh, Reverend Kathy, uh, how is it impacting you folks? Well, I think it's a little early to see much change. Um, we're still entirely remote for church school, for adult education, for meetings. And we usually broadcast worship from the church. But Zoom turned out to have a special advantage last Sunday when we were able to lead worship from home. And that saved any of us from driving in the snowstorm. So as Rabbi Tom was saying, that this is something that, you know, we may be able to hold on to and, and use as an asset in the future. We've been checking in with our elderly members just to be sure that they all have access to a COVID vaccine and offering to help secure appointments for them and rides to those appointments. And it does seem like um, most people are, uh, are interested in pursuing vaccination. Uh, that's that's great that the majority of people are willing uh, and interested in getting the vaccine. That's that's great to hear, uh, Reverend. Eric, I, was, how about- I was able to get I was able to get a vaccine too because I work in hospice, so um, not because I'm over seventy five. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, February first, I got my first one. Oh, good for you! Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, Reverend Eric, how, how are folks uh, in your congregation doing? Yeah, I would, I would mirror what's been shared already by uh, Tom and Kathy. Um, we're, our ministries are just about 100% um, uh, online only. Uh, we're ramping up to, uh, to prepare for hybrid ministry once um, it's safe for people to be back in the meeting house. Um, the, um, children's program is, uh, um, is, is, uh, is happening online and right in this, this, um, semester, our middle schoolers are really enjoying a, um, a faith and magic curriculum. A, a, a minister who's also a magician is, is leading their, um, 10 week, uh, course, and they're having a lot of fun with that. Um, and, um, our, um, our seniors are also, um, quickly getting um, their first doses. And um, like Kathy, I was able to get a um, my first dose of Moderna um, in early February and hoping that that's going to, at some point, not soon, but um, in the next couple of months, make it possible for me to do more in-person ministry um, when, when it's safer. Um, and at the same time, uh, just um, yesterday, uh, tried uh, very hard to get an exception made to make an in-person visit at um, MGH and wasn't able to. Um, that's the that's the reality. That uh, it's still not safe 
uh, to do that. And um, these restrictions are really important. Tons of respect. And um, uh, the um, pastoral care department at the hospital does a great job anyway. So um, that's, um, that's, that's where we are. It's interesting you bring up uh, the MGH situation. I know just from uh, family that the um, Brigham and Women's, Dana-Farber, and then as an extension out here in Milford, as long as their patients are healthy to get themselves in and out of the building, the earliest they're going to allow someone to go with that person is uh, after Labor Day of this year. And then it's not a, cert, a certain day. So it, it is extremely interesting how these hospitals uh, have had to deal with everything that's going on. Uh, have I know you folks deal with it personally in, in your everyday, whether it's going to see patients that are in the hospital that are members of your congregation. Are, are you, or, or maybe in a different way, uh, congregation doing anything special? Have you changed anything in terms of serving the community, both your your own community within your respective churches, but the community as a whole? Uh, and why don't we start since we were talking with uh, Reverend Eric? It's such an important question, Jay. And I, so I would say, I, I think the... Um, congregations in town and FUSF amongst them are are trying to find ways to continue being mission focused in the community that match up well with um, with the COVID virus. And sometimes that's kind of getting our own um, structures in order um, during this in-between time. Um, and sometimes it's it's also really practical um, endeavors. And um, Pandora was um, uh, was noting before we got started that uh, this would be a really good time to lift up uh, the Interfaith Council's uh, really great work in putting together a new program to support local restaurants and the Franklin Food Pantry. Uh, it's called Project Envoy. And um, this program invites people to choose uh, to uh, to take out or uh, or uh, otherwise uh, support local restaurants on specific days. Um, and uh, when they do, a portion of the proceeds from that restaurant will go to support the food pantry. And it's sort of a restaurant a day. Um, it's off to a great start. I think we're about a week and a half into it. And um, it's a good example of what... Um, can happen even during um, COVID time to to import to support restaurants and the food pantry. So th those kinds of things are are going on. I'd like to that, just add to that, if I may, that the the group has been wonderful and the restaurants have been wonderful. I don't think we realize, you know, in a community now for eleven months we have stepped back so far and stopped patronizing stores, patronizing restaurants, patronizing um, service facilities. And there's a ripple effect to that in terms of people making a living, supporting families, taking care of children, taking care of elderly population. And this uh, initiative, which actually stemmed from the First Universalist Church and then reached out through the Interfaith Council to the other congregations in Franklin and beyond, 
because people in all the surrounding communities are aware of it too, reaches out to the restaurants, really ramps up the number of patrons who come. And it's been amazing trying to get a parking space to run in and get a <laughs> takeaway. And you say, yes, this is great. The restaurants feel good about it. Um, patrons thank them for participating in Project Envoy. And the donation from the, race, the restaurant to the Franklin Food Pantry is a private donation. They give directly to the food pantry. It's not regulated. There's no set amount. You know, it's just the end of the month, they send in something. And everybody benefits, the food pantry gains, and even the home cook gets to step away from cooking a meal. And uh, it brings us together as a community. I'm sorry for going on for so long, but it just, it's exciting to see something that has those ripple effects into the community that shows that we are a caring community. I, I think Pandora, it's, it's very, very important that you talk about it uh, and get the word out there. It's as Reverend Eric said, it's been going on for a week, week and a half. And I'm sure there are plenty of people that still don't know, you know, if we're able to reach even one or two individuals that decide to kind of get involved with that, it's worth it. That's, that's what kind of we, I, I think, this show wants to do and in our get togethers, what, what we want to accomplish is helping others and, and providing a little positivity, maybe a little light at the end of that tunnel. And this clearly is something that will help that. Uh, Rabbi Tom. Yes, go ahead. Thank you for raising your hand. That was very good. Um, <clears throat> you weren't supposed to tell them that <laughs> <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, I just want to, to add a little bit more to this wonderful uh, lifting up of Project Envoy and remind everyone you can find it on the uh, uh, websites of uh, the various uh, houses of worship and you can find it at franklinfoodpantry.org slash um, a project uh, hyphen envoy. Um, so what I want to add to it, besides everything else that's said, is years ago, um, and I was moving out of a purely, you know, for-profit world into what ultimately led to this, um, I remember being given advice by someone who had been in the uh, uh, world of uh, uh, doing good things. And that person said to me, you have to make sure this is something that you enjoy, because if you're not having a good time with it, it's not going to last very long and you're not going to make it happen. Project Envoy seems a classic example of that. That is to say, look, what are we doing? We are helping the Franklin Food Pantry. That's a good thing. We are helping local restaurants that are in trouble. That's a good thing. But... <laughs> As Pandora was saying, we're also helping ourselves. We're having fun with it. It mm. is enjoyable to get these uh, meals. It is enjoyable to see lots of people around. And so this is an this is just about as perfect a uh, an idea as has come along uh, in a while. And I want to uh, 
give my thanks to uh, the uh, you know, First Universalist Society for coming up with it. It was uh, great, and our synagogue is uh, fully involved. That That is uh, just tremendous to hear. Uh, Reverend Kathy, how about uh, with you and your congregation, uh, things you're still doing, were doing, et cetera? Well, I think Project Envoy has been a big focus for us as well. So I just want to um, add my support. Uh, people do need to go to that website to see the calendar for the particular days that certain restaurants are participating in this. Um, and just to add that, you know, the food pantry has had so much more need. They've had so many more people coming and needing help mm. during this time. So, um in addition to enjoying a takeout meal and supporting the restaurants, you're also supporting people who are maybe even in more need than that. I'd, li- I'd like to just add to that. I don't know that people aware- are aware of this, but Massachusetts is one of the most hard-hit states right now when it comes to food insecurity in the country. You know, we think that uh, because we have uh, pretty progressive social programs, uh, that it must be someplace, you know, that doesn't look like us. Well, it isn't. It is us. Can't tell you the reasons. I'm sure there that we could go into that there could be all kinds of ideas. I'm sure cost of living is part of it. But Massachusetts is in serious trouble when it comes to food insecurity, which explain, you know, and so what our food pantry in Franklin is facing, we're facing all through the Commonwealth and we and everything we can do to change that is going to be very important. Excuse me, that that's great. I, I, what an exciting program uh, to have out there and, and to help individuals. You know, it just kind of helps everybody. It helps the restaurants. It gets people going back out, whether it's takeout or, or actually in person. And, and we know that the restrictions on restaurant, they weren't completely left lifted, but they changed as of Monday. They can have a little more in-person capacity, which is great. So that you, you should all be praised for your involvement with this. I, I think it's just great. Uh, Pandora is going to take us as we uh, head into our quote-unquote topic of the month. Well, our topic for this month appropriately being February is Black History Month. And this is a month we have been recognizing and participating in in a formal way since 1970. So it's been a long time, but this year, as everything else has been different, this year our our participation has been different because of COVID changing how we interact. Uh, But yet, if you look uh, at the electronic media, if you look at the print media, you'll see that there are pathways through books, through art, through film, through discussion, through houses of worship, through our schools. So we are doing this and uh, really uh, recognizing and celebrating Black History Month. And for today's conversation, we were wondering how among your congregations are you recognizing Black History Month? How is it influencing your congregations? And I think using that lens of faith that we incorporate with our daily lives, are there sacred stories from scripture or from other sources that you use that are especially important to your congregations? 
And uh, I, I was wondering, um, uh, uh, Rabbi Tom, uh, you know, I, I looked at this. You always have a story for us, and I, I love them because they have vocabulary that is is new to me, and it's I always learn. And so when I was looking at Black History Month, I was wondering how would you tie it to scripture that informs and directs your faith and your congregation? So there are so many tie-ins, but let's talk about just two of them. First is um, Black History in America begins, as uh, everybody knows now, uh, in 1619, when the first African-Americans were brought unwillingly to these shores uh, and were over either immediately or over a short period of time enslaved. Historians argue about the details. I'm not concerned. Pretty pretty quickly, slavery starts and becomes um, the experience of most uh, black people in this country uh, until the Civil War. And so in Judaism, this is a kind of natural fit because the story of uh, the Jewish people, and especially the story in the Torah, as uh, we say at Passover, is me'avdut l'cheirut, from slavery to freedom. If you ask for what the core Jewish narrative is, it is uh, we were slaves in Egypt and ultimately were freed. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the old Negro spirituals are songs that are, are uh, frequently taken from this uh, um, Hebrew Bible context of, of freedom. And so there's a connection there, and it was, you know, particularly, and during the civil rights era, the, the, among the Jewish community, this felt especially powerful. What we have learned is now the second part, which is the history part. And the thing about history is everybody's history is their own. And it is not appropriate to take Jewish history and say, oh, that's the same thing as black history. There is a his, there is a there are similarities. There is a history of oppression. There's a history of uh, being uh, uh, treated as, as second class or below. But it has varied and is different in America. The Jewish experience in America is different from the Jewish experience in Europe, and the black history in America is different from the Jewish history in America. And so we have to take uh, each person, each community on their own terms and learn about them and not assume in advance, oh, yeah, you're doing this. That's just like when we did that. It's like when you did that. Each of us needs to be heard. Each of us needs to be listened to. Within the Jewish community, we are more and more cognizant uh, that there is a community of Jews of color, including uh, black Jews. The, the numbers someplace between 2 and 4% uh, probably are black, uh, and uh, folks who have a black and a Jewish experience have their own particular stories, that they're part of both communities and are aware of interactions. And so... Um, in my movement, I've been very proud to see that we have been lifting up their stories and bringing them 
to those of us who are not black and trying to see how the various connections work. Um, so with that, you know, my goal in Black History Month is always to learn. I, I studied history before I did anything else. It's always the thing I read and learn from. And, um, you know, the more I can learn about it, the better. I'm currently reading uh, Isabel Wilkinson's book, Wilkerson's book, Cast. She's speaking at our uh, rabbinic convention uh, in March. And so I'm looking forward to uh, going where she's gone. I, I read her previous book, which was excellent. And uh, so history matters. We need to learn it. I like that. I, I like the way you said that people need to be heard and they need to be listened to. That's so important. They need to be valued and included in the conversation. And there are examples in history, but each story is unique, I think, is what you're saying. And you, one, one experience is not the same as the other experience. And that's so much for us to learn and apply in our, in our lives. And uh, it can be overwhelming on, on the large service, but as you break it down into the smaller components, um, you can begin to process it uh, in, in a way. Um, but it's still so much to learn. Um, Reverend Eric, I saw you. Well, we are on Zoom for the listening audience. So when um, uh, Rabbi Tom was mentioning the author who's going to speak at his rabbinical conference, uh, Rabbi Eric uh, made a, a gesture that indicated knowledge of this particular author. And I wondered if you, as you talk about your congregation, might you also reference that? Well, I, I just always appreciate the way that Tom talks about um, uh, the, the freedom struggle and liberation and um, identifying Isabel Wilkinson's book, Cast, is um, a really important piece of the puzzle. Um, uh, I also found it to be a really important book, Tom. And uh, the, the, uh, the invitation that she makes is to invite Americans to understand the way that racial injustice works here is far more similar to, um, let's say, the caste system in South Asia or even the caste system during um, the middle part of the 20th century in Germany than we might care to admit. Um, and that that caste system has been in existence um, since 1619 and perhaps even earlier. She explores that truth um, in a very scholarly and convincing way. And um, I'm so grateful to her for that book. I want to say that um, I have mixed feelings about identifying a month as, as uh, Black History Month. I think it's good that we have it. But the, uh, the problem is that um, if it's the only month that um, Black history is being lifted up, then uh, we're making a huge mistake. Um, and if the only history we're looking at is history um, made by uh, Black people and people of color, then we're missing something important. We need to be looking at history daily, not in one month. And we need to be looking at both the freedom struggle that black people and people of color have led and the um, resistance and complicity in injustice that people who look like me throughout our history have provided. So um, looking back 
as Rabbi Tom was saying, is very important. And doing it um, throughout the year, not just in February, uh, is uh, is equally important. A couple of uh, of things that are helpful on our end is, um, uh, well, I think um, this part of the year really begins for our congregation on uh, the day when we celebrate the the birth of um, Martin Luther King Jr. And that um, that was a wonderful beginning of uh, of of, uh, of this um, important work for us. We exchanged pulpits with. Um, Temple Eskheim in January, and uh, that um, that's been great. Uh, we are um, starting a, um, a what we call a common read. So Unitarian Universalists all over the country are reading a book together and um, doing um, discussion and spiritual discernment on that book. And ours is um, called Breathe. A Letter to My Sons by Imani Perry, uh, and I can highly recommend this um, this book uh, to, to folks as well. It's eminently readable and, um, um, and, and um, transformative. And we're getting ready to start a, uh, a program based on a podcast called Seeing White. Uh, a member of our congregation has um, experience leading discussions that are follow-ups to that podcast, and um, uh, that will be a part of our Black History Month and beyond um, racial justice uh, work in the short term. Um, Lastly, I want to point out that part of the looking backwards work for Unitarian Universalists is recognizing um, the uh, being on the wrong side of history uh, far too often, and, and um, not centering uh, the vision of beloved community that um, uh, that needs to be centered. And um, at one of the current initiatives, uh, actually it's uh, an initiative that goes back three or four years, is to add a principle to our statement of principles and purposes. Uh, we currently have seven and this would, it's called the eighth principle project. And I just want to read what, um, would be added to our um, our covenant of faith uh, if um, if we're successful in in doing this. Uh, the um, eighth principle says that we, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. And uh, our congregation is um, is on board with uh, the process of, um, of um, discernment related to this eighth principle, and that will be a part of our work going ahead as well. Would this eighth principle be for all of the unit uh Unitarian Universalist societies across the country? Is this a national movement or is this regional? It, that's our hope, Pandora. So th- this is um, uh, a decision that um, will be discussed this June when we gather nationally. It'll be online, but our General Assembly happens each June. And then uh, we expect it will be formally voted on a year from June. Um, and it's a very significant change for us. This isn't a change that we do Often, the last time this uh, statement of uh, of uh, principles was changed was in 1985, 
Um, so it, it is really a recentering of this very work as uh, as um, at the center of, of our uh, of our faith. And I, I hope that we not only will change our principles, but live into the um, uh, the commitment that it um, identifies. I, I think that's very exciting. I think that um, many of us, as we look at the generations of our families that are following us, children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, grandnieces and nephews, as they go out into the world, they are forming increasingly culturally and ethnically diverse families. And I, I like the idea of the eighth um, covenant of faith that addresses that and, and brings it to the forefront and makes it part of the, the, the mission. But um, thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that with all of us because I was unaware of it. So I appreciate it. We appreciate your, your prayers that uh, it will happen, uh, Pandora. That would be most appreciated. All right. Uh, Reverend Kathy, uh, I think we've, we've heard a lot from Rabbi Tom and from Reverend Eric, different pathways, um, looking back to history, looking forward to the future and, and maybe new steps. Um, can you speak to what is going on with your congregation? Sure. You know, as a largely white congregation and a largely white community, um, I'm not sure how much connection people have really had with Black History Month other than what their children might have been bringing home from school. But I think this year is different um, because of the Black Lives Matter movement and the the racial violence that we've seen over the past year uh, and, and how COVID has brought to light the disparities uh, between um, different demographic groups. I think that people may be more aware this year. And um, even though the Episcopal Church is often seen as as a white a white church, uh, there are significant African American congregations. And uh, we even have an African American hymnal that's called "Lift Every Voice and Sing." And so I'm going to make sure that we bring some of those hymns and that culture into our worship this month, and also to talk about some of the African-American history within the Episcopal Church. There are a couple of significant figures. Um, Absalom Jones was the first African-American Episcopal priest, and he was ordained in 1802, and he founded the first African-American congregation, which was in Philadelphia. Uh, he was born a slave, became an abolitionist, and he's remembered in our calendar of saints on February 13th, so it's very appropriate to talk about him this Sunday. Um, and then Polly Murray was one of the first women and the first African-American woman ordained in the Episcopal Church in 1977. Uh, before her ordination, she was a lawyer, and she was the first African-American to earn a JD from Yale Law School, so a lot of firsts. She was an activist for civil rights and for women's rights. She co-founded NOW, and she seems to have been gender non-binary. Obviously, we didn't have the language uh, in her time for her to necessarily identify that way. But um, looking back, that seems to be what people think. Um, there's a documentary about her life that will premiere this year at the Sundance Film Festival. And... We've been doing some reading as well. Um, 
we have a, a group that uh, does book studies periodically, and we chose this time to read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And it's about mass incarceration of black people. Um, and so we're looking at ways that we can advocate for reforms in the prison system, the justice system, um, so that we might end some of this injustice. Are you the the book that you're reading by Michelle Alexander? Is this the is this an all church read or, or a, a separate book group within the church? How are you facilitating this? Well, the whole church is invited, and obviously we're doing it on Zoom. Um, it it usually most of our book studies end up being a small group. It's five or six people. I, I think it's interesting. Again, it's it's a plus coming out of of the COVID restrictions and the use of Zoom. I would wonder if uh, you don't have a little bit if a larger book discussion group. It's an important subject. It's an important to your congregation, and and you have a different platform uh, this time. I'm thinking you didn't do your conversations on Zoom previously. No. <laughs> Reverend Reverend Eric. Well, I, I just want to say that, um, Kathy, if, uh, if the invitation is opened, I bet um, other folks from beyond St. John's would, uh, would join your book discussion on Michelle Alexander's book. It, um, it was a common read for you use a couple of years ago and a really important book. And um, uh, maybe the take one takeaway here is that we, we need to find some ways for people of various faiths to be in conversation about um, uh, books uh, of this sort. Yeah, we're actually finishing up our discussion on this book tonight, but um, I, I think we should find something that the Interfaith Council might want to read together. I love that idea. And, then, and, now, and now this radio program produced something that we hadn't planned for. That's <laughs> wonderful. It, it absolutely is. It's, it, you know, one of, uh, I think, one of the positives that come out of this our gathering once a month, the information and what we talk about, we have uh, our, our three uh, ministers, as we, as we call our show, theoretically get together and come up with a plan that they want to talk about or a topic. But it, it always seems to go, you know, we, we veer off in, in different directions, which I think is just tremendous. I, I really like it. And um, going back to the food security team for a quick second, that was my first involvement with so many uh, different congregations. And it gives us another pathway uh, to connect as a community because we, we're all here together. And and then to take it to the next level with, with a book read, that's that's exciting. It, it, it brings us together because we share so much in common. But totally it, agree. Yeah, that, that is so true, Pandora. Before we um, begin to bring this show to a close, I'm just wondering, because this has been an important topic and, and a busy conversation. I haven't done this in a while, so it was my turn. <laughs> so I want to share a very short poem slash prayer by uh, Alden Solovey, um, wonderful uh, Jewish, contemporary Jewish poet. Because it feels to me that this speaks to our moment here. You know, we haven't even mentioned that since the last time we got together, uh, we have a new president of the United States. We haven't mentioned that since the last time we got together, uh, we were 
I think, almost universally awed by um, a uh, 22-year-old um, poet who just, compl- Amanda Gorman, who completely uh, spoke to our moment. Uh, and we haven't mentioned that, you know, there is, uh, that, that we are in a place I believe of concerns for what we what has been done, what we've done, what others have done, and hope for where things can go. So I want to share this poem, which wasn't written for this, but it's appropriate. God, I am but flesh and blood, prone to error, inclined to holiness. Guide me, support me, lead me to a life of celebration. I hope that we can repair our errors, move toward holiness, and head as individuals and as a community to a life of celebration. Very nice. That was great. That is. I think it it helps to center us after a rather robust discussion. It it kind of... (laughs) brings you together and uh, helps to bring it to closure. Before we do close, Pandora, I just want to remind at least the group of us on here uh, that early on when I asked a question, Reverend Cherry called it important. So I just want you all to remember occasionally I can ask something important. Uh, What people don't know is that question was written out for me by Reverend Eric Cherry. So that may be why he called it important. But thank you for that. uh, (laughs) You you are our guiding light here. So Uh, I I think it was important. Then we are all in. We have a few more obstacles to overcome. If I'm the guiding light, just be aware there'll be a few more hurdles uh, coming up in the future. Uh, We we thank so much all the folks that join us and you guys to take the time on a monthly basis to prepare for the show and then be a part of it. I think, I know Pandora and I are just so appreciative to just be a a, a tangential, that's a big word for me, part of it. And we thank you for letting us do it and, and join you. And the stars of our show, obviously, are Reverend Kathy McAdams, Reverend Eric Cherry, and Rabbi Tom Albert. Uh, thank you so much again for another great discussion, a great plan, and great guidance, I think, from all three of you for us to go forward with over the next four weeks or so. Thank you to uh, Jay and Pandora, and thank you to our behind-the-scenes folks, uh, Pete and Keith. This is a pleasure every month, and we look forward to it next month. Absolutely. I agree. Thanks for your prayer, Tom. Thanks to everyone. Good to be with you today. I agree. Thank you all. Have a safe and healthy week.